Hi there, friends. Thanks for listening in to this episode of the Pure Gravel Podcast. This time around, we get a chance to spend a few minutes with the winner on the women's side of the Pure Gravel Power Rankings, none other than Lauren Day Crescenzo. Lauren joined us from her pain cave at home down in Atlanta, Georgia, where she had finished up some morning workouts. We talked a little bit about what that off-season training regimen looks like for her, uh, the level of data nerdness that she applies to it, and, well, just about everything else in her life. And then also we talk about some of the great success that she had throughout the 2021 racing season, the big victories and the impact that they had on her life. Then also we get into some of the controversies that surrounded her with her wins in Kansas at Unbound and then up at Steamboat. And then interestingly, too, how the women themselves are coming together to better understand those situations. And I think it's a fascinating exploration into being able to bring different people together with different points of views and perspectives and come away with a much different understanding of the people and the issues surrounding them. And hopefully, too, this can mean a a better way, a better path down to establishing, you know, maybe a little more rules and guidance uh, in this, what is kind of a lawless world of of rules when it comes to the racing and gravel and, and protecting all along the spirit of gravel as best we can. Lauren, if you don't know too, about six years ago, suffered a TBI when crashing out of a race in San Dimas. We talk about that road to recovery she had that makes her the athlete that she is today and the mental strength and fortitude it took just to recover from that and the lessons she learned along the way and how she applies them into her racing and training today. It's a fascinating insight into somebody who overcame tremendous obstacles to be back performing at the highest possible levels in her sport. Lauren, too, is just a phenomenally intelligent woman uh, with a uh, advanced degree, uh, a master's degree in epidemiology and pretty much has a job in her back pocket with the CDC once she decides that she's done dominating the bike racing scene here uh, in the U.S. Oh, and by the way, she's got her eyes on some rainbow stripes, too. So take a listen in. I think you'll find this a fascinating exploration into one of the top athletes in the sport today, Lauren DeCrescenzo. Well, thank you for sitting down with us and joining us. We definitely appreciate it. Um, thank you guys for, I, I have this. Thank you. Yeah, we want to see that. Look at that. How does it, how does it feel to win an award you didn't even know you were in the running for? <laughs> well, I knew about the gravel rankings because I was like ninth place in 2019. And I thought it was cool, but like it hadn't even crossed my mind since then. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I guess. I would win this year. (laughs) Well, and win in in dominant fashion, too. Um, It took us a while to get to how we were going to pull all those results together. But when we did, um, you were far and ahead of anybody else even in the running. So congratulations. A great, great year. Yeah, it was the best, best one so far. A little bit better than 2019. Yeah, well, (laughs) that might be as good a place to start as any. we all kind of got shut down in, in 19 and, and 20. What's a, was, was, was that supposed to be the really big first year for you back into racing and, and getting into the gravel scene? Not exactly. Actually a little bit opposite. It was the year I was supposed to start my career. I graduated from graduate school at the university of Colorado and shoots with my master's of public health degree in epidemiology. 
And my goal was to move down to Atlanta. Um, well, cause my now husband is, was a med student at Emory and I was going to come down to Atlanta and I was going to try to get a job at the CDC. And that was like my big goal. But like, I thought I had been there, done that with cycling, like gravel was cool and everything. And I was really enjoying it, but like the goal had become my career because I was like almost 30 years old. So I was like, Oh, well, it's time to get my life on track. <laughs> So yeah, I was uh, focusing on epidemiology, which was actually great considering what happened to the world in 2020. <laughs> yeah, we, we certainly use a lot more smart people working on that in that field. <laughs> what was it then that drew you out of it and, and back into cycling? Well, I guess my dad said it the right, he, he said something very, uh, very perceptive. He said that, Lauren, you never actually made your career number one priority. <laughs> You always like I did, but I like cycling in my head was always like the thing I wanted to be doing. And like I had unfinished business to attend to and I was trying to get away from cycling with a career. But really in the back of my head, I was like, oh, wow, I, I just want to be a bike racer. <laughs> so uh, and then, yeah, the Unbound happened and the rest is history. <laughs> I was at Unbound and at the finish line when you cross. Oh. It was a, as emotional of a scene as I think I can ever remember seeing at a bike race. Yes. Um, you were in tears. You're hugging your coach, Tommy D. Um, describe that for me. Where was that emotion coming from? And, and, and it seemed like there was a lot pent up in there. What, where did that, where was that being held down? And, and what was that feeling like as you crossed the line as the unbound champion? Right. Uh, that was a lot. That was very, very emotional. Yeah. I was, I was crying when I crossed the finish line. I was one part because I was so happy the race was over. <laughs> 12 hours later, you're just in tears because you're just so happy it's all over. But I mean, all the, the time before I'd done, I'd done Unbound one other time in 2019, didn't finish that year. I crashed like in the first 30 miles in yet another collarbone break. <laughs> and so, I mean, that was kind of just like, wow, I have some, I have some work to do in the gravel. Cause like that was, it was super technical. And like, I, I put the work in for like the next two years and all the, I suffered that traumatic brain injury uh, about six years ago now. And just like putting myself, just thinking of that, crossing the line at Unbounds, like walking through a hospital in 2016, just like walking through a rehab center, not knowing if I'd ever, thinking I would never touch a bicycle again. And then like, that feeling, just like where I'd come from and like that adversity that was there, I was like, yeah, I'm going to cry. <laughs> well, especially in light of everything that you'd been through just to get there, a very cathartic moment and that release of, even if you look at the race itself, being 25 yeah. minutes down at one point and going through all the, everything you had to just to get there um, and then taking the win in light of everything previous to that, that whether or not you'd ever even race a bicycle again, it had to be just absolutely overwhelming. 
There were a lot of emotions, <laughs> a lot, lots and lots of emotions going through my head. I don't even know. I can't even pinpoint exactly which one was making me cry. They okay. were all making me cry. And then I was also, I was pointing to the sky in that picture because my grandpa had actually passed away about three weeks before that. And yeah, I was making sure you knew that I won. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. There was a lot of us crying there with you, girl. That was really, oh, I know. really, yeah. really cool. Um, what was harder, Everesting or winning Unbound? They're different. They're different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I did say at the finish, I was like, this is the hardest gravel race I've ever done. Everesting was harder, but I wasn't at it. I don't think I was adequately prepared when I ever, I don't know. They're just, they're different efforts. It's like comparing mountain biking and road. Right. Like I was comparing Everesting to like a Stairmaster up, down, up, down. I cried during Everesting. I didn't cry during Unbound. I cried after Unbound. (laughs) Please make it stop. Please make it stop. Yeah, that was like hour eight. I was like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Um, But what was interesting too about Unbound was that was your honeymoon week. So either we've got to talk to your travel agent about figuring out a better, you know, setup for you guys when it comes to planning vacations. I'm joking, but obviously you guys, you guys took that into consideration. You get married the week before and then spent the week in Emporia getting prepped and ready for the race. Describe what that's like. That's only the life only a cyclist can really relate to. I mean, it helps that my husband is a cyclist as well, and he was also going to compete in Unbounds. Right. It was just, it was really hard back then and still is with COVID, knowing like, can we go anywhere internationally? Like, should we be traveling? So we just said, all right, we'll put the honeymoon on, the actual honeymoon on pause, and we'll go on a, I don't know, like a fake honeymoon to Emporia, Kansas. We'll call it our honeymoon. Hopefully it goes well. (laughs) I think it turned out all right for you. I I had a nice honeymoon. (laughs) Is there, about the race itself, is there anything that sticks out in your mind? Uh, You know, we we know you had to cover a 25 minute gap at one point and uh, had to deal with some mechanical issues. Is there anything or uh, that, that sticks out in your mind as being a really transformative moment of that race and unbounds different in the sense it's a mass start and you're going through with everybody and ripping across these gravel roads with massive rocks and things like that. But is there anything, a moment or two in that race that stand out as being really um, uh, impactful or instrumental to your overall win? <laughs> Getting my tire inflated. <laughs> I mean, little I- things. Yeah, the little things. I mean, I was leading, I was leading the race early on and I was like, I was very confident and very comfortable. And I was like, all right, I just got to do this for nine more hours. Um, yeah, I was up there with my teammate Flavia and everything was fine. And then, you know, every, most people suffer some sort of mechanical illness. I mean, I thought my race was over. Like when that happens, I was like, okay, there's no way. It was like a sidewall terror. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to fix this. But eventually the tube did work and that only, t- <laughs> it only took, yeah, 25 minutes. But then once I got rolling again, I was like, I just put my head down and I was like, well, I have six more, nine more hours to make up this gap. And then I did. And I just busted it all out. And then it was, that was the race. 
<laughs> Where does that mental determination come from? Like if you can look back at a point in your life to say, that, yeah, I developed it here or I saw it coming along here as, as I was a junior or coming through the collegiate ranks. Where does that mental strength come from to, to stick to it? A lot of people might just sat up and wrote it in with other some other people on the road or been helpful to somebody else. But no, you like you said, you put your head down and said, I'm not out of this yet. So I'm going to I'm going to still try to win this thing. Where does that come from? No, I've always had a little chip on my shoulder, <laughs> but I think, I think I really, really got it at the Craig hospital rehabilitation center. I mean, once you make it through living in a hospital for a long time, everything, like, I don't know. I was just thinking like, I, I wasn't wrapped up in like, okay, why I can't do it. I was just thinking all the reasons why I could, I could probably just make up the gap. I could, I'd done all the work. And so I was like, I don't know. I, knew I had it in me. I, I said, I don't see why I can't close this gap. <laughs> you and mentioned, you mentioned putting in the work from the 19 event when you crashed, what was that work? Was it specifically going out and riding on gravel and, and being in, in more technical situations on the bike like that and get becoming better at that particular area? Yeah, it was moving from Colorado to Georgia. <laughs> As, as we like to say, the SBT gravel is the champagne of gravel, whereas it gets it's pretty gnar down here in Georgia up north. The roads are pretty technical. So I just kind of like just went into it. I rode uh, a lot more with um, old Jim and I made friends down here who like to ride the gravel and we just went out and ripped the gravel in North Georgia all the time. And eventually I was able just to, eventually I could stand the wheel the first time. I was like, no, this is way too gnar. <laughs> eventually, I don't know, following lines and just riding the bike more on technical terrain. It's definitely one of those skills that's in, the knife has got to stay sharp, right? You've got to continually do it. You can't just expect to jump on it and have the same level of confidence. Otherwise you're going to find yourself running out of skill pretty quick. Right. Like I didn't ride the gravel maybe for like eight weeks or something like that. Eight weeks because of my recent collarbone break and my first ride out, I was like, I hope I didn't forget how to ride gravel. <laughs> so for the first 20 minutes, I was like, oh my God, I forgot how to ride gravel, but then I was fine. <laughs> you have a very um, dedicated coach and teammates in your, in your cinch group there. We saw you come into the first uh, checkpoint station and it was like a, an F1 pit stop with how fast uh, bags got replaced, bikes got on the stand and cleaned and everything like that. Um, and a lot of prep and training has to go into that part of it is, is obviously that's a little different than anybody who's running a, a simple privateer, you know, air quotes program. And, and is that important to you? Was that important to the overall success of your day? Uh, I mean, the two people, there were two people in the feed zone. It was Tom and Joe, my mechanic, Joe. And I don't know, they, I don't think that private, I think privateers also have people in the feed zone. I had two people in the feed zone. I think everyone goes to unbound with people in the feed zone. They were my two people in the feed zone. It wasn't like a, it wasn't, it wasn't like an F1 thing. It was Joe knows my bike very well. So he was able to, you know, just get it back to a good state to continue riding on. <laughs> but, eh. um, let's you mentioned steamboat. 
that's a that's a, a great event. They do a fantastic oh, job up there, and and um, I know you have some roots there uh, with uh, family and such. Um, what was important about getting the win there for you? How did how did that event go, and and what was significant about that that big victory you took there? Uh, well, what made that special was that my my family was waiting for me at the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't doing that in Emporia. I couldn't get them to go there. But, uh, my family, I'm from Colorado, uh, from the Front Range. And yeah, my husband's family uh, lives up in Steamboat. I've spent a lot of time in Steamboat. And actually, Amy was my maid of honor. So I got a lot of, yeah, I have a lot of roots down in the, down in the, as we like to call it, the boat. So okay. I've, <laughs> I've done those roads, like the roads of the races on like a million times. So it felt, it felt like a hometown race. It's like a little second home. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, there was some well-documented controversy that came out of kind of, kind of both events. And I don't, I don't want to necessarily rehash that. I thought, I thought you and Amanda did a wonderful job at covering that. What I'm curious about is in the, in the months that have passed since, I know there's been a lot of conversations among the female racers. Um, and you've been very open about what your mentality was and what occurred in the race and very and I think too very scientific about it in terms of telling people, look, you can overlay anything you want on top of this. And it's clear that what you're alluding to happening did not in fact happen. I said, do this job of flyby. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think my question is, is has there been any changes or has there been a, a more common ground of understanding among the female racers? And is there any changes that we can expect to see either in this spirit of gravel or just in terms of how the races might play out going forward? I don't, I don't know if there's really going to be, it all comes down to the race organizer and what the race organizer wants to do with their race. But like the women of gravel have made themselves or we've made ourselves available. If like any race organizer has any like specific questions about an event or like what they want to do for the rules of their events. So like, it's an open dialogue between like the women and the race organizers, but ultimately it comes down to what they want to do at the specific race and their specific rule book. Um, I don't know. We, We've had a few calls and it's been good to talk about things and for me to tell everyone to do a straw flyby. <laughs> well, you got to tell your side of the story, right? And, and there's been a number of interviews where you've talked about it at length in terms of, you know, what happened and your perspective on it. And um, I think from from my my stance, it you did an excellent job at laying it out. And, and in fact, there was a lot of um, um, misstatements made about what occurred in the event. Um, and we want to correct those. Right. As as and I'm wearing a different hat even now by saying this, but as, as working with a race promotion entity, like we want to make sure that it's it's level playing field. All the rules are out there as best we can while still protecting this, you know, this cool spirit of gravel sort of thing. And I don't know what upset me the most about that entire thing that happened is I just the entire time, like, sure, the men were having incredible performances. They did a great job, like winning Alex House. Winning their, I don't know, like 
the men did great. They had great performances, but then my performance was like under the microscope and delegitimized and like, she couldn't have done this without men. And I just made me, it didn't feel very, uh, uh, equitable. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't like the, how my win was being taken with a grain of salt. When you had the opportunity to explain it or explain your side of it to the other women, do you, do you, did they understand? Do you feel like they they got it? And in fact, even when you overlaid or did a flyby, that you realized that you know there wasn't any pace being taken, there wasn't any extra assistance or any team assistance being leveled upon it. Do you think they understood that? I think they understood it, but I don't know if anyone actually did it. Anyone actually did the data, <laughs> looked at the data or not. I don't, I have no idea if they actually looked at the data, but like I, I created an Excel. So, <laughs> cause I'm also a data nerd. Right. Right. As you're prone to do. Yeah. <laughs> if, you could, like, if you could lay out like the perfect scenario in terms of any sort of rules, what would those be? What, what, what advice would you give? race promoters today in terms of making sure that the women's field has a nice level uh, playing field to, to work on? Mm, I do like the mass starts. I like that for like the equal media coverage. Um, that, so that part's good. I want to continue doing that. I don't want to get a separate women's. I've said I do, I said I do, but like, I like the, the there's equal media for the men and women. I don't think there should be like separate days or whatever. Um, in terms of rules, I feel like it's just, it's up to the race promoter and it. Like every course is just so different that it'd be crazy not to have any support at Unbound to like not have like a, like anyone like giving you water or like feeds or whatever, like at the aid stations. I think it varies upon this each event by itself and like that's something that the race needs to think about their courses and their field sizes and who's there and yeah i think the, i think the race organizers probably can figure that out <laughs> like you said every race is different too right the courses yeah. are different the, the topography the terrain the vibe and everything is like that is different right. for every race so it, it is kind say, of a, here's your set of rules i can't be like here's 10 rules 10 commandments like it's like impossible given like just how different everything is right and i think that's an interesting element of this um this genre of the sport right it's not so homogenized to where every criterium has to have these same set of rules and we're operating under a certain license that everyone, every race is a little different and has its own unique features and, and fun elements to it that way. Yeah. I mean, didn't Peter Senna just add a, a bull ride to his race? I mean, yeah. very specific to his race. <laughs> <laughs> that will be interesting. We can't wait to see that. I don't think every race should add that rule. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing it's deep into off season training for you right now. Oh yeah. Um, what does that look like? Are you, I, I, you're, you're a data nerd. So you're obviously out there. Everything I imagine is measured and weighed and calculated and things like that. How detailed is that plan without revealing all the secret sauce? How, oh, yeah. how detailed is all that planning and, and what does that look like almost like on a, on a daily or weekly basis? It's, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty detailed with like power and like intervals and everything like the huge. Um, 
I don't know. I've kind of like kind of taken a chill pill since it's December, but, uh, I'm going to a bicycle camp in a week in Tucson. So that'll be fun. I'm going to do Mount Lemon. Who knows how many times. Okay, nice. (laughs) Are you mostly, are you mostly indoors right now because of weather or do you prefer indoor training for specific workouts and things like that? No, I'm outside every day. Georgia is very warm down here. So there's one good thing about living in Atlanta, which is the weather, maybe not the roads, but the weather is great. year round <laughs> and there's pr- probably plenty of gravel uh just right outside the door or do you got to go pretty far to get the good gravel roads you have to go at least an hour and a half at it well uh, well no i mean there's some within within like 30 40 minutes you could do probably or south but yeah i'm like in the city of atlanta okay. near the hospital <laughs> um Looking forward to next year. Now we got the calendar set. We're going to hopefully transition back to a more normalized calendar and not try and jam a year and a half's worth of racing into six or seven months. Um, What does that calendar look like for you? Have you already set your, your big race goals and objectives for, for next season? Yeah. I mean, I have some overall objectives. Um, Definitely defending it unbounds. That's that's a big one. And, um, this UCI calendar has not been announced yet, but, um, hopefully our qualifying for UCI worlds would be amazing and doing well there would also be amazing. Uh, defending at SBT gravel worlds. Um, yeah. So basically everything I did this year, plus the UCI. <laughs> do you, do you know anything about that? Cause it's still so mysterious and it doesn't seem like there's any answers out there to any of the questions. The, the big one I have is, if it's a UCI event, does that mean anybody who would enter in the event has to go into the drug testing pool and kind of start there? And if so, does that make it just a world tour type of event? That is very, this is all very mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> I have a UCI license from road. so <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, all I know, all I've heard, I've only heard rumors, but I've heard rumors. It will be in the U.S. Yep. And maybe, and in the West, maybe at altitude. Okay. That's all, maybe. that's all anybody knows right now. It's so, I know, it's, like, that's it's only, I can't get any other details from anyone. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned gravel worlds. That's one I, I kind of skipped over, uh, when we talked about your big wins this year. Um, was that a statement win for you coming on the heels of SBT the way it was? Yeah, that was a very bad week for me. <laughs> uh, the week between yeah, the week between SBT and Gravel Worlds was very. I had to put my phone on do not disturb mode. That was terrible. But uh, I mean, I yeah, my team said they just sent me and my teammate Holly. And like none of the young new 23 guys were there. They weren't allowed to race in the same race as me. (laughs) And uh, I just kind of just wanted to show the world like, yes, I can do this without anyone's help. I don't need anyone and to, well, I don't know if that sounds bad, but I, I was like, I don't need, it's not like the way you thought it was last week. And it was a nice, that was a nice win. But also very emotionally hard. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, 
did it feel good in a way to know that you could do that and making that statement? Were you were you relieved or did it just pile on a little more uh, intensity to the whole discussion? I mean, I never questioned that I could do it without like my <laughs> at SBT, the U23 boys, they were racing their own race. They didn't care about me until they platted or got drops from the main, from the lead guys. And then they saw me ride by <laughs> and they waved. <laughs> um, but I mean, there was no question that I'd be able to do it next week. And in my head, I, you never know what can happen in gravel, but in my head, I knew I was capable of doing it. And it was nice, but, and, it, and yeah, it was nice. It was a nice little victory the next week. Good, good. <laughs> it, 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 well, and I think for us following along, there was a, a cheer that went up for you on, you know, on behalf of you to say, gosh, well done. We, we, we never doubted that you had it in you, but it's nice to know that you can go and do this and just silence everybody. Yes. That right? was the do not disturb mode on your phone. Use it. Yeah. <laughs> Power of the DND. I love it. Yes. Um, it's, 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 um, I think you've created a, a, a quite a name for yourself, obviously winning the way you have. Um, do you have more, how long is this story going to go for you? How, how long do you see yourself riding at this level and being able to take the wins that you're taking? I mean, who knows? <laughs> I, I've, I've been racing since I'm like 19 years old. I'm 31 now. So it's been a good 12 year run so far. <laughs> I'd say <laughs> it's been a good, tw good 12 years. Um, I mean, I plan on doing this for, I don't know, as long as my body lets me, I guess. I mean, it's what I love doing most is just riding and racing and training and I love it. So I'm just going to keep doing it for as long as I can. And I don't know. I feel like I, there's so much work I could do in this, like to improve the sport and be like a catalyst for this, like women's cycling. I want to some, I, I like want to improve the sport for all girls and women and like elevate it to a different, like make it more popular, make it more digestible for like the public and I don't know. I feel like I could create opportunities for women. I've been doing some uh, gravel clinics. <laughs> I did a gravel clinic in Georgia and one in Colorado, and it was really cool. Just like women showing up and wanting to learn how to ride gravel. And I think also, I think that gravel is a great way for like women's like equality in the sport, women's equity, because we're all out there doing the same exact thing at the same time. And men and women doing the same distance, same everything. So I think this is like a whole new unexplored area. I was doing road for all those years. So who knows? Maybe I'll go for another 12 years. Who knows? <laughs> Could you ever see yourself get, uh, getting back into a road race or are you, are you kind of moved on with that? And this is going to be the focus. I did pro nationals this last year. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you did really well too. I was, I got caught with five miles to go. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good race. So, and, yeah. So it's not out of your blood just yet. No, I have a roadie heart. <laughs> I, yeah, I was born a roadie, but I turned into a gravel racer. I, yeah. 
I'll always be a roadie. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, that's, I think that's the, the spirit that we all love. That's where we all came from anyway. Right. And gravel has been an evolution of that. And we, we like it cause it gets us out a little more in nature and things like that. But we're all at heart. I think we, we have that road background and got to put the miles in somewhere. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I train on the road all the time because I live in the middle of Atlanta. So yeah, got to ride the roads. Um, <laughs> you are a fantastic and, and a wonderful superstar in this sport. And, and we're most grateful that you, you took some time to, to sit down and chat with us. I, I, I have one more question. You, you've mentioned in a couple of past interviews that your dad is a fantastic Italian chef. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What is, what's your favorite meal? What's the one he's going to make you to know like, ah, I got to give her something really special. What's going to be the one that, that you look forward to the most? Ah, (laughs) Describe that for us. What is that? (laughs) So it's like a Italian pasta that has like it's stuffed with cheese. It's really good. He's a New York Italian and my grandpa is actually an even better cook. And I invited both of them to come to unbound this year. <laughs> it's like the personal house chef over there. Is that, is that how that works? No, 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 no. Like my, uh, my grandpa, he's like this old Italian New York guy from Brooklyn. And he, you know, he has like his, he does, he does his hair with the hairdryer and he, there's like velvet little track suits and he nice. cooks meatballs all day. And, and then my, my dad does the same kind of thing. <laughs> so they make that in New York, he called it Gavin deal. And that's what they always make me when, <laughs> Oh yeah. After a, after a good race or a, whatever I want, it's got deals. Nice. You charge recovery and feel better food. I love it. Yes. They have, they make incredible meatballs as well. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and they will both be at Unbound this year. <laughs> All right. All right. We might, we might have to swing by to get a little taste of that just to see. I'll ask grandpa to bring some of his meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks so much. Best of luck uh, next season. And um, man, we're, we're, we're just so excited for all your success. Uh, congrats again on the uh, pure gravel power rankings championship there. And thank you so much. I was awesome getting this thing in the mail. (laughs) What the heck is this? What am I going to do with this? Winning the gravel power rankings. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool. It's just a cool thing to have. (laughs) And uh, yeah, for you guys having me on and I'm excited for next year. We'll see what happens. You should be, no doubt. (laughs) Lauren, thanks so much. Uh, We really appreciate your time and hanging out with us.